Life is often so busy, taking us here, there, seemingly everywhere. When you are unable to make it to church, we hope you are fed and nourished by listening to the preaching of God's Word wherever you are at the moment. In the meantime, take care, and God bless. Good morning, and welcome to St. Andrew this morning as we uh, come to a new uh, sermon series on promises, promises, promises. Um, I'm Pastor Peter Johnson. If we haven't had a chance uh, to meet before, I generally am responsible here at St. Andrew for small groups and the way we connect together. I also am responsible for how we connect with our partner agencies and ministries around the city, the country, and the world as we do ministry um, for the sake of God and the world, and uh, along with lots of other things. But it's nice to meet you. If I've met you before, welcome. As I say, we begin this uh, sermon series on promises, 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 how good it will be here over the next several weeks to be surrounded by what God promises us. Um, in our lives, uh, in our context, in our time. Uh, today, we will be looking at, as Pastor Lilliard mentioned in the message, I will strengthen the weary. And before I get into the strengthen side of this, what God does to strengthen us, uh, it is always important, at least uh, sermon-wise, as we want to get into the, the rub, or we want to be where the rubber hits the road, we have to talk about the weariness um, a little bit because it helps set up the stage for uh, what I hope to be and we hope we experience good news um, to follow. Uh, how important it is, though, to dwell a bit um, on the weary. As we take a deep breath, sometimes in the midst um, of life um, and circumstances. There's all kinds of weariness, <clears throat> of course. So I know if, uh, some of you probably have the experience that I have after putting in a long day um, of work, uh, work that, that I love, that's for me at least it's purposeful and it makes, I believe it makes um, a difference um, in the congregation and God's uh, work in the world. But I'll get home sometimes 5.30, 6 o'clock and I'll just say to Michelle or the boys, I'm just gonna go lay down for a couple minutes. <laughs> you know what I mean? <sighs> just gotta lay down for a couple minutes and catch up. It's a good tired, it's a good weary. Maybe that's the kind of thing, too, that you um, experience, too, the good weary that happens. But then there's also the other kind of weary that, that kind of just sets in and continues to bother or fester um, or be present within our, within our hearts, those worries and concerns uh, and realities uh, that we try to turn off, we try to inoculate with a good Netflix series uh, or uh, just turn the other way or don't turn on uh, the news. Uh, but it's hard sometimes um, to be in those circumstances too, that kind of weariness. So in other words, sometimes weariness is just being tired. Sometimes weariness is having one patience, tolerance, and pleasure exhausted. Two kinds of weariness, maybe there are more, but I think that gets down uh, to the point, I think, in these um, circumstances of life um, that we live in. There are voluntary circumstances of weariness and involuntary, too. We'll dive in a little bit deeper here. So voluntary is like I've decided to go, go on an exercise program and I'm gonna be weary because of that. But involuntary at times of weariness comes uh, when we've been given a pink slip, maybe at our jobs. 
or we're anxious about the cost of fuel or food and things like that, and we're caught in something, and there's an involuntary weariness that we can choose not, to, we can't choose not to be involved in it. It's a weariness. There's a personal weariness that's within me or what I'm wrestling with or what I am about, and then there's a collective weariness, a societal weariness, a more broad and general uh, weariness. When people write about the United States right now, about their 50% of Americans who are on uh, this side of let's get along and get on with things. There are 30% that are conservative that want to go this direction. There are 20% who want to be progressive. And, and we're trying these days collectively to figure out, well, where are we going here? What's going on here? You know, it just leads to uh, the weariness uh, that is a reality today. One book that I've been reading uh, here uh, the past uh, few weeks is written by the author named Bruce Feiler. Maybe you've heard of him uh, before. He's written a number of, of best-selling uh, books, and he has a new one out that I'm actually going to be doing a little teaching on this fall. It talks about life is in the transitions, and one of the things that I like about it um, is that it's challenged me to say that so much of our lives, we think of them as being these, these linear paths where, where we, we're on a straight line. You know, so when you think about that, it's we go to elementary school and middle school, and then we're in high school, and then we're in college. We get our first job, and maybe at college we meet our, our spouse, uh, like I did, like I met Michelle. We get married, we have three kids, and you know, life is this church and then another church, but it's a, a straight, linear line. And Filer in his book has said, life has not been linear, especially these days, for quite some time. Life is oscillating, he says. It's just a series of ups and downs. And the sooner that Americans realize that life isn't linear like this, but can put into it uh, uh, these ups and downs of life, like lunch we had yesterday with some old friends um, of ours um, who live in uh, Alberta. Uh, a gentleman um, at our dining room table who uh, had a, um, a child six years ago, he and his wife, when his child, uh, Liam, was one years old, uh, she was diagnosed with stage four cancer. She lived four years, died a year ago. And the lovely thing about this lunch yesterday is that here was Rob and our old friend Ellie having met each other and they're getting married and they're so in love. So life for them wasn't a straight line, but there was this and now there is this wonderful image of them um, loving each other at our dining room table for lunch yesterday. Bruce Filer has that understanding and invites us to think but our ups and downs. He even went on to say in the first chapter too uh, that we try to live our fairy tale of linear life, uh, but as this Italian phrase is, there's a wolf in my fairy tale. There's wolves that come along in our fairy tales and cause us to be, the sermon today is on weariness and maybe I've made us feel a little bit weary. So let's maybe turn the page a little bit and we'll get into how we might be strengthened for thy service be. We are linked to the great and the repeated story of God's faithfulness. We are linked to that story. 
Now, this might seem a bit padlum. Have you seen this before? Probably you have. Absolutely you have. But this is something that is such a huge part of, of our faithful understanding. For me, as a Christian, I have to recognize and trust that I'm linked to the great repeated story of God's faithfulness. How so? How do I know that story? Pastor Lilliard read in our passage from Isaiah one of the stories that is the great repeated stories of God's faithfulness. Let me give it a context here for a little teaching moment about the book of Isaiah, the context of Isaiah chapter 40. Beginning, long time ago, many years before the book of Isaiah, 1,000 was the year King David united the tribes of Israel. You know, the, the Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, the, the musical. Fast forward a few hundred years and boom, King David comes and says, you're all part of one nation in Jerusalem as the capital. That was about 1,000 BC, okay? Long time ago. But this is all relevant to our being caught up in the story of God's goodness for the world. Okay? 721, the northern kingdom. Northern kingdom, the northern part of Israel was defeated by the Babylonian, Babylonian Empire. I won't go into details why, but this is the when uh, that it happened. Such as to say, though, that the Babylonian Empire was very strong in those days. And whenever the surrounding empire of Israel was strong, it was obviously the case uh, that Israel was weak. And whenever the surrounding empires were weak, uh, then Israel was strong. So Babylon continued to be really strong. In 586, the southern kingdom was defeated also. So the north was defeated then, now the southern kingdom is defeated. Now both have been defeated, and there is what we call the Babylonian exile. You shall leave your home, you shall leave your temple that was built by Solomon. You shall leave all those places that you value, that you're secure in, and you will be weary because you will go to Babylon and they will have their way with you. Babylonian captivity, 587, to 539, 48 years, gone. 539, hmm, Cyrus the Great, the king of Assyria, defeated the Babylonians, the Assyrians take over and they change the whole tune. They say to the, to the children of Israel, you may go home and begin rebuilding that which you knew before. But 48 years was a reality in the Babylonian exile. 48 long years. And as Isaiah 40 was read by Pastor Lilliard, the weariness but the promise that God will abide with you, in retrospect, the Jewish community looks back and said, God has resided with us. So this past week on Tuesday, um, anybody that's on the Synod uh, newsletter list of the Minneapolis area Synod got, got an email in it. And uh, in it was a blog entry uh, from the assistant to the bishop, Craig Peterson, uh, who is uh, responsible for our territory. And I've known uh, Craig uh, Peterson since I sang with him in the Gustavus Choir many years ago, um, and so it's great to reconnect with him. In this column uh, that he wrote on Tuesday, he talked about a conference that he went to um, about the state of the church, the state of the church. He, and I need to look at my notes here to make sure I get my statistics correct about American Christianity. Pre-pandemic, 
Craig wrote, um, that there were about 75 to 100 closings of American churches per week, and per year about 35, 37, 50 to 5,000 closings per week of American congregations. At this, re- at this training seminar that he went to, they informed him that with the pandemic happening, those rates have accelerated. And so now it is said that 100,000 congregations will close their doors in the next three to five years um, in America. 100,000 in the next three to five years. And then he brought it down personal when he said, on my dry erase board in my office at the Synod, there are names of 15 congregations, 10% of the congregations of our Synod that are all in this process of transitioning. His conference was about how to transition the church communities to rethink their ministries and sell their buildings. 15 congregations in the Minneapolis area synod are in this circumstance. These are not easy things for me to read. We talk about them as a staff all the time. We think creatively and we want to do things that are, are visionary and, and show support for all of you in your faith lives because we believe that we are caught up in a story, in a great story that repeats itself of God's love and forgiveness in the world through, through Jesus. We work really hard at that. And then Craig Peterson's uh, blog entry comes in and once again we're thrown into, oh, I'm a little weary here in the process. I remember talking with someone a couple of weeks ago who's not a member here at St. Andrew, but he's decided that for his memorial service, um, he's gonna do it in a bar so that people um, are able to tell stories about him and to be together and enjoy um, and have fun, but it's not going to be in any congregation. A couple of years ago, I went to a hotel ballroom and didn't participate in, but I attended a memorial service of someone who also didn't want to have anything to do with the church, and we did it in the hotel ballroom. And I wonder, am I gonna be doing more memorial services only by the graveside? Or am I gonna be doing memorial services in those kinds of places in the future? But I wanna draw your attention to the Babylonian exile here, and I want to impress upon you, and if we wanna show our friends at home who are watching again this slide, the Babylonian exile was 48 years long, but God was not done with the children of Israel. It's why we tell these stories. If we don't have congregations and we don't have memorial services that tell people that they are cared for through eternity, through Christ's love, at least those of you who are in attendance here and who are watching online, we are getting ourselves caught up in the story that gives us what we need to trust and to hope, at least I think so, for when we approach our weary times. The Babylonian exile has been termed something that the human family of faith has gone through before. Not just in Babylon either, but there are other times and other seasons where there was captivity, where there was a a, 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 a confusion and even a a despair and weariness 
But God had a way for Cyrus the Great to come along from Assyria and get the children of Israel back on the move once again. So what do we hear? That God's been here before? That God's not done yet? That God's promise to be with weary people does not just evaporate. We grow weary, as Isaiah says. But God does not grow weary. God does not, will not, and we believe he cannot grow weary. Not as a loving parent. Not as, a love, as someone, as a father who loves his children. I also think it's important to have a sense of perspective. I've already been trying to reset those perspectives here already. Maybe you, like me, were amazed uh, by this amazing piece of technology that's or in orbit that we're suddenly getting pictures of. This is the James Webb Telescope. It's been amazing the things that it's been putting out for us uh, to see. This is called uh, the Stevens Quintet. I can't tell you much more about it. All I know is that these are five galaxies one is like 40 million light years away. The other one is like 400 million light years away. But this telescope is capable of getting all of them uh, squared away in one scene. And so they've been studying Stephen's quintet way, way on the other side of the universe. Then there's this picture here too. This one um, is called a, a deep field picture. To me, it looks like what I see when I drive at night, but that's all that I, that's the circumstance. This is everything out there. It's kind of a wide angle, but a deep, deep view. It's, a, it's you know, spectacular. Could you imagine that that's the case up there when we look up into the stars? And this one, I can't even explain. It's a nebula, but I don't know. I need an eight-year degree to tell you what this is, but my degrees in something else. My degrees in faith, right? And trust that these things are far beyond us and they're becoming clearer or even more wondering as we see these images. Psalm 8, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, and all that you've established, Lord, what am I that I am mind, that you are mindful of me? That I am mortal and you take care of me. Yet you have made me a little lower than yourself and crowned me with glory and honor. We feel free to change those pronouns and make it personal because our, our God is personal. Personal, present with us. See, we have a God who not only carries the people forward through a Babylonian captivity the last 48 years, but we also have a God, too, through Jesus, who just, uh, just a several hundred years later continues to reveal God's goodness and grace and mercy in that kind of intimate and personal presence with us and in our lives and in our circumstance. Oh, the things that Jesus saw in his day, right? The weariness, but the presence of God the psalm, though, gets it up in that big spectrum there, isn't, doesn't it, of the entire, the entire cosmos. Rabbi Abraham Heschel says, awareness of the divine begins with that awe and sense um, of wonder. How good and wonderful is that?
So in the book of Job, there is this great line. When there is this parable going on, and we should perhaps have Pastor Matthew teach a, teach a class on Job. It's a complicated book, isn't it? Battle, the struggle between good and evil, the devil and God. And then this, in this parable, at the very end of it, in, in, in chapter 38, there is this great kind of final line when God is talking to Job in, in the story. Um, it says to Job, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the earth? This is me. This is who I am. And this is who you are. A long time ago, and I've told you this before, Gerhard Ferdi said, uh, Peter, remember that God is God and you are not. God is God and you are not. That God is up to something here for those who are in Babylonian captivity, for those who are in need of care and peace in the time of weariness. We are needed. So I was remembering a story this week, and maybe you've heard me or someone talk about it before, about the starfish story, about the father and the son who were walking on the beach. And on the beach have washed up a whole section of starfish. You know, the beach is covered, thousands of starfish, and the little boy is reaching down, picking up one and throwing it in, and picking up another one and throwing it again out into the water, saving one at a time. And the dad looks at the son and says, uh, you know, it's going to be hard to do all the saving here that's needed for all these starfish, son. And the son says to the father, makes a difference to that one. Sometimes I've told this story because it's inspiring for us because we sometimes don't know where to start and we don't know where to go, you know? And so start small and do one thing for the care and love, show mercy and grace in one way. But maybe if I think about that story a little bit differently, maybe God is the one who's throwing one starfish back at a time. Kind of like the lost coin story in the Gospels. How the woman who finds the lost coin got it. You know, remember that one? The lost sheep story. The 99 are fine, but there's one that's gone. Gonna go find the one that's lost. Or the lost son. Who's been away, maybe he's been away 48 years in his own Babylonian captivity. And he comes to the head of the driveway and then the father comes and says, you are mine and you've always been mine. It's always been true. My nephew Leif was here a few years ago and we were on a boat on Minnetonka fishing for sunnies because he'd never been fishing before. And he kept catching sunnies over and over again. And he said, look, I got another one. Look, I got another one. Look, I got another one. God, I think, has this persistent, steady story to tell. And I think God gets just as excited as little Leif did back when he was four, however old he was. I got another one. There's another one that feels better about today. There's another one that's been gifted by something that inspired them, even for a moment, because it doesn't have to be the end of the story. It doesn't have to be the end of the story. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy, carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I'll give you a little hope. I'll give you a little love. I'll give you a ton of forgiveness. And I want to give you peace, says Jesus. And trust that it's going to work out. And with the story of God, 
it works out. Love wins. And Jesus is for us. So I hope and pray that maybe in the midst of weariness, that these words and our Savior can come to save us again. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. We hope you found this week's message helpful as you think about how you will live out your faith each day. If you would like to support the ministries at St. Andrew Lutheran Church, you can do so by having your credit card information available and then texting a gift to 952-260-9007. Thank you, and God bless.